Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Lucy Chen. Lucy is a financial risk executive and also a certified human potential coach and psychological fitness specialist who founded Gifted Coaching, bringing two decades of mentoring and coaching experience. A distinguished toastmaster, she excels in public speaking, career development, well-being, and financial coaching. She's also a founding member of the San Francisco chapter of Chief, a private network for women executive. She co-chairs the Albany Asian Pacific Islanders Parent Engagement Group while advising Catalyst Youth Network, a non-profit organization, and a black belt taekwondo martial artist lucy shows that family and health conscious living go hand in hand hi lucy welcome to woman to woman we're so excited to have you with us here today same thing here good morning i just feel so honored to be here to share my thoughts for our listeners if you can briefly introduce yourself what do you do today um that would be great thank you i'm so happy to be here so first of all my name is lucy chen i came from china a long time ago, right now, I'm a risk executive, but I'm in tr- career transition, and I just wrote a book. So I call myself author. Also, I'm a speaker. And of course, I'm a mom of three, three girls. <laughs> so basically, that's a nutshell about me. So Lucy, how was your childhood? So you just mentioned um, you grew up in China for a while. So what were some of the people that were important to you growing up? Yeah, so I was born in 1970. Wow, long time ago, I'm old. I'm not (laughs) old. (laughs) Grew up until 24. So I came to this country when I was 24. Um, That was 1994. So speaking of my life in China, quite interesting my daughter interviewed me yesterday for her project at work, and she's 16, and talking about immigration, my experience, my journey, and how different the life when I was her age. Very different, of course. China is totally different, especially back then. We're talking about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, Fundamentally, at the beginning, the culture is very different, but I don't want to drill in down there. But just overall, I want to paint some picture there. When I was little, everyone was poor. So the entire country was poor. Really, the resources were really scarce, regardless of food or clothing or any necessities or even pen or pencils. Really were lack of resources there. But second is, I did not really feel my life was hard. Why? The life was simple, but with love. So a simple life with love is above and beyond everything else. I had my mom and dad, and also our community was really knit close. So we say, for example, I went to someone's house and my friend's house, and we called each other's mom and dad, aunt, auntie and uncles, right? That kind of things. But when I was little, I food, right? We call it the food, the glorious food. Maybe you're familiar with that song. And second is I was separated from my parents for some time. So before my age, age of six, I probably spent two years or so uh, with another relative because my parents constantly had to go on a business travel. And also, if you're familiar with the history back then we were going through the so-called 10-year cultural revolution so my mom and dad one by one were was sent to uh, cadre schools 
for re-education. So basically learning the communist the propaganda, that kind of things. <laughs> so that's the second struggle. Number three is I was constantly sick. I always thought that I was the weakest person on the whole planet because <laughs> I, I was sick every day. <laughs> um, that, that's another story. But in a nutshell is uh, we didn't have abandoned resources or materials per se. However, if you're asking me how I enjoyed my life over there, sure, I I really enjoyed my life and I think that I had the best childhood there. And it's interesting you say that, right, Lucy? A lot of times, if you look at the happiest countries, they're not the richest countries. Happiness has nothing to do with the money. It's how the culture is, how tightly knit they are, what kind of a childhood you would experience because you have the right relationships. That's what matters. So that that is um, so interesting you say that. Coming to high school, what were some of the things you explored, you know, fields? And I'm assuming if you came here at 24, you kind of had gone through some college. Uh, so what were the fields you explored and why did you choose whatever you did? Yeah, great question. So when I was in high school, China, of course, the situation improved a whole lot in terms of uh, resources, education, the opportunities, The because we went through from the kind of the close of the country to the reopening of the country toward the end of 1970s and eventually 1980s, and people really were so open-minded and welcomed the westernized values to the country. And also the country really built up and uh, progressed so much. Of course, a lot of us, we had a dream of going to America or Europe. We want to explore the world because we closed down so many years, right? So decades. So if you count from the 1949, when the new China was founded until the end of or beginning of 1980s or the end of 1970s, so, so several decades were closed down. We didn't really understand the world. So my mom and dad, they got the opportunity to work in Sweden for some years. And I dreamed about going there. But because we were poor and also some policy were there, so I didn't get a chance. But in high school, I wanted to go out to the world and to see. One step back was that um, historically, so when my mom and dad, they went to college, they didn't have the opportunity to learn English. So the only foreign language was Russian. You know how it is that Russia and China were alliances or comrade countries, but they cut off the relationship. So the China was really isolated. So with that background, where everything was open, and of course, the world was opening arms to China, and we started learning English. So it's lucky. In 1984, uh, 1982, when I was 12, I started learning English. But you know how it is compared to now, we didn't have the resources, even the the tape or the the radio tapes and the channels that we can learn English is really so limited, right? So the only sources was, okay, our textbooks and the the teacher. And also regarding the teaching style was so completely different from the the culture over here because basically there is you, the teacher has the authoritative figure and they taught you and you listen you just follow being obedient right i think the whole not only limited to china but the entire kind of asia is like that culture right you respect teacher you don't challenge them and etc so very limited but again that didn't really stop 
me and stop other students who really dreamed about going to America. So in college, I started really enhancing more in English and learning the literacy, the culture, and everything. And the last year of, or or maybe two years, I gave myself to prepare. And we had to go through, okay, TOEFL and GRE, right? So all of the preparations and uh, apply to college because applying to college is totally different than how we apply to college in China back then. So I had to get familiar with the whole system of, okay, college admission recommendation letters and fill out the forms and paying the application fees and different grading system and everything. So it's really... uh, I learned a whole lot from that experience. <laughs> so did you want to get into finance at that point? Like what field did you want to get into? Or there was nothing specific? No, I did not. So finance never came to my mind. And my education, I studied environmental engineering Okay. for my bachelor's degree. The reason that I picked that field was that because China, the development speed was top. Right. For the past 30, 40 years, China was number one in terms of the rate of improvement and industrialization. So the environment was a compromise, really the sacrifice. And so I was probably among the very first batch of students really studied environmental engineering and tried to help the country to improve the whole awareness and the policies and the procedure. So I feel that, OK, this is a good field. Right. So I also uh-huh. consulted my parents, of course. You listen to your parents, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so I chose that. I spent five years in college. And by the way, my college required us to study for five years. And so in 1993, I finished. And so finance was really far, never really came to my mind until later of my career when I, after several years working in the U.S. And that's a different story. And even in the U.S., when I came to UCLA, I studied the same field, environmental engineering. So I got master's degree in Uh 1996. So if you had to divide your career into parts, what would the parts be and how did each one lead into each other? Great question. So I mentioned earlier that I studied environmental engineering, but then I moved to the Silicon Valley from the East Coast. So my first job was in Buffalo, New York. And so very different when I moved here. The reason that I moved here was that I wanted to marry my fiance back then now, my husband, of course. So after I moved to the Silicon Valley, I started to get impact and the whole value of, okay, tech and tech and quantitative analysis. So I switched my career. So to answer your question, maybe prior to switching my career, I was an environmental engineer or environmental consulting specialist. And then I switched to quantitative. But first, I did not go to finance or financial industry. I went to United Behavioral Health, and that's Mm -hmm. the insurance company. And I worked there for the finance department. I almost became actuary. So that's kind of my career trajectory where where I pivot there. Factors like mobility, right? Like you moved not only from China to US, but from Buffalo, West Coast. Did that help you? Did that have any impact in your career or your thinking point of view? Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things that I want to mention. Definitely California. 
I love California because it's so diverse. Mm-hmm. And Buffalo, New York was more uniform because it was really conservative and with the traditional kind of Americans over there. Uh, with that said, I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Still, I think moving to California is a, is a great move. As I mentioned, one is diversity, backgrounds here. Number two is tech. Once you land it here, you'll feel, okay, the whole atmosphere, the TV, the commercial, everyone's talking about all of the topics really related to the innovation, creativity, anything new. And I got so pulled into that. But but one keep in mind, I want to mention very quickly, as an immigrant, not easy to move yeah. because you mentioned about mobility. At that time, I was in the middle of getting my green card. My company, the environmental consulting firm, sponsored me. I was in the middle. My husband, or my fiancé back then, he applied through his employer or the UCLA. So we were separate, and it's hard for us to really get get to together. But really took courage. I asked my company to transfer me here. Very fortunate. Still, I'm holding my highest gratitude towards my old company. They allowed me to relocate. Otherwise, not sure about the relationship, the long term. And we didn't know how long it would take for us to get a good card. It takes a while. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Another key thing, right? And um, you do this really well because I see it firsthand. Once you got here, you've really made a strong network. You're also one of the founding members for Chief here. So how did you start that? Like you're you're new, you just moved, you don't know anybody to a point today where everybody knows you. How, how did that happen? And what were some of the strategies that really helped you? I learned my lesson the hard way or to put it in a more positive way is learning process, learning experience. Because moving over here, didn't know anyone. And of course, everything we had to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Everything. So I didn't want to mention all of the details. I struggled a lot. In terms of career, I switched my career. And I was already 31 when I switched my career. I wasn't like just fresh of the college or really understand very much about the culture. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I noticed was that my culture, I wanted to really improve from something that my culture taught me. Say, for example, being really quiet, not raise my hand, even some of the projects that I feel, oh, I'm passionate about it and I really loved it. I didn't dare to express my feeling because one thing is about the culture and also language. What if people misunderstood me? Mm-hmm. What people feel that, okay, I'm too strong. I'm too bold. I'm not respectful. So I learned one thing was that I was being too quiet and also related to my communication skills. So I joined the Toastmasters. I joined in 2009 and for now, 14 years passed. I'm still part of the Toastmasters. It empowered me to stand up, to build my confidence and to really connect my inner values and voice mm-hmm. to speak it up and to learn how to ask to learn how to connect. So I really love Toastmasters. It's a great organization. I've heard so many people tell me that, you know, it really helped them overcome the inhibitions of speaking out, speaking in public, speaking with other people that they didn't know. So amazing organization. So given that 
now you kind of worked on the things you knew you had to work on. How did you build allies and sponsors that really, you know, spoke for you when you were not there? So you're speaking up, but there are many rooms where you're not there. So how did you build that network? Right. So first of all, of course, you lead by speaking up. Mm -hmm. So I want to really become the role model of my team because I manage the team and I'm being the role model for everyone and to really cultivate the culture, right? Let's talk about it. Let's speak up. I encourage people to share their thoughts and their knowledge. So first is lead by example. And number two is I always try to reach out to people to offer my help first because you know how it is that, oh, when I mentioned about network, you need to do more networking. And the young people a lot of times say, no, that's for like a sales and you pay, you, you do your sales pitch. And you want something from someone. I said, no, no, no. Networking is really mutual, reciprocal. Doesn't mean that you really want something from someone. You offer your help to others. So I always, every time that I talk with people, I always mention or express the interest to say, is there anything I can help you? So I consider myself a network connector or social connector. I offer help, even something or sometimes I cannot help others. I would connect and provide the resources. In that way, people feel more comfortable around me, intentionally build alliance to answer your question. Absolutely. Along the way, were there naysayers and how did you handle them? You know, the naysayers... Every day you encounter some people like that. Well, even my husband, right? <laughs> even last year I was trying to write my book and my husband goes, what are you doing? You think you can do that? Naysayers, a lot of times you feel very annoying, right? But in a way they challenge you. Well, you consider this is a challenge and you need to have the conversation internally because everything is here, right? In, over here, heart to heart, you want to say, hey, maybe... They care, really care about me. The husband, my husband, <laughs> he challenged me because he cared about me. He didn't want me to burn out because I have full-time job and I want to write a book and I take care of my mom and everything. So just consider them that they care about you. Of course, there are some people that what you consider like opponent or like enemy, they don't want you to grow up. Doesn't matter. It's natural. People would say something like that, right? Either that they are building you up, asking the right questions to you for you to think through, or maybe they unintentionally dragging you down. So that's the part of building resilience. You want to really overcome with, I'm quantitative because I'm STEM major, engineer and everything. So math is my expertise, but always people around you to say, oh, Lucy, really good at math, really good at numbers. But when there are some opportunities for promotions or leadership, not explicit, but in, they imply, okay, Lucy is only good at certain field, right? Yeah. And I wasn't really happy. So that's why I want to show how capable I am, how talented, the multi-talents that I had. Yeah. And I wanted to build myself. So, so a couple of things. One is really you build up yourself, right? To show you're competent. Nothing come out of the thin air. Yeah, you have exactly. to work hard at everything, yeah. Right, exactly. And second is build the alliance, right? Some people, 
really understand, okay, you want promotion, you want to explore opportunity. And number three is present yourself, be vocal. If you are not vocal, who would say it, your idea for you? If you had two pieces of advice for yourself, your younger self, what would they be? A lot of advices, but okay. Fundamentally, the number one is believe in myself and let go of the guilt, shame, embarrassment from my mistakes, Mm -hmm. from setbacks. That's fundamental. That's number one. Number two is I would tell myself that you are not alone. A lot of people are like this imposter syndrome, you know, like a limited or fixed mindset. Yeah. Open up, open up. You're not alone and love yourself. Excellent advice. All three pieces of advice. Absolutely (laughs) excellent advice. Did you ever face any perceptions that are very typically associated with women? And how did you handle those situations? Even though I wasn't really discriminated against, still you could feel people's body language where they're glanced through, where they're laughter. Basically, especially if the team is not that diverse. Mm-hmm. With the male dominated certain tasks, they feel okay. This is okay, Lucy's part. This is someone's part, right? So the perception is that they try to fit you in certain. Remember, I mentioned okay, Lucy's good at it. Okay, quantitative, right? And so a lot of presentations, they would assign me to only cover the portion with okay, the charts, the data, and everything, and they do the kind of business strategy development. You know what I'm talking about? So, and then, so it, it becomes a habit, right? Okay, Lucy owns this piece. I said, maybe we can switch something like that, right? Or, or, or involve me in some portions. Yeah. So that's one thing. Number two is a lot of times my response was strong and I feel like, okay, maybe I am not enough. That's not good. So if I were to tell, to answer your previous question, no, you are enough. Are there certain behaviors that we women have that really hold us back, in your opinion? A couple of things. One, I noticed that we try to do more because the as a capable career professional woman, we want to show we are capable. In a sense, we try to own more than what we are able to or compared to other male or other people. So in a way, I observe that a lot of a burnout happen to women. A lot of burnout because we feel that I want to show I'm capable. Even I'm a mother, I don't I want to stay longer. I want to be online longer. I want to show that okay, my family did not impact my career. I want to show that I'm an immigrant. I'm still a capable. I'm not only good at it with numbers, quantitative, I'm able to do this and that and one or two and three. I we forgot to delegate. Because sometimes we feel if we delegate, we ask for help, that shows our vulnerability. That's not yeah. good. That's really two things that uh, I observed. Let's talk about a little bit about resilience. You mentioned that word in your book. Says um, Your book is Build Resilience, Live, Learn, and Lead. Amazing title. And I know it's, it's a really much-awaited book. So how did that come about? How did you decide to write that? And how has that journey been being an author? Great question. I mentioned I have loving family. So my parents really, my father was the most influential person in my life. He passed away a year and a half ago. And I started doing my soul searching and started writing about his story. I really regretted that I didn't interview him enough to understand his childhood and just here and there anecdotes. 
but still worth it. And my friend said, okay, why don't you put it in a book? Eventually, I made the decision for three reasons. Number one is in memory of my dad. He's the most optimistic, gentle, and resilient person that I've known. His story is worth spreading. Really extraordinary. Number two, connect with the pre- your previous questions, alliance, and being vocal, speak up, or the arts of speaking. I feel that as immigrants, especially people of color or Asians background, we're not that visible. Mm-hmm. We're a minority. We're model minorities, right? The concept in America. But our stories are not minor or minority. I want to talk about our stories. And everyone has amazing stories to share. And number three is really share some of the tips or advice that I learned over the years of being a mentor or coach combined with my parents' values and stories. So that's why I came up with seven principles of building resilience, healing, and nurturing. Number two is goals, dreams. Number three is gratefulness and contentment. And number four is spirituality and the faith. Number five is connection or community. Number six is growth mindset, growth. Number seven is a simple life. So these are the seven principles that I want my readers to really get some of them. Not necessarily all of them you agree or resonate with you, but some of the tactics or tools that maybe help people's life, especially for those that, oh, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, maybe young people are less resilient. Mm-mm. Just remember you are stronger than you thought. Thank you so much. And all the best with the book release and you have your books in and I know you just had a book signing. So congratulations and all the best. So one last fun question. What is it that not a lot of people know about you? Okay, one thing is, remember I mentioned that I used to be sick all the time when I was little, right? So I had a dream of going to Olympics. Well, people would laugh at me, totally. My pals, they would laugh at me because I was the slowest and uh, and the weakest and, and the shortest. And I was just really weak, okay? Put that way, I was weak. I, I had that dream in my heart. I couldn't share with it. I played the ping pong. I um, tried swimming. I tried various things. Olympics was far away. However, I never really gave up. I tried different things. I did yoga along the way. Oh, or ping pong. I did ping pong badminton when I was in the college. And eventually, seven years ago, I started doing yoga. And four and a half years or almost five years ago, I started Taekwondo. You know what? I gained my black belt. Congratulations. Yeah. So last month in November, in November, I even competed at UC Berkeley Open Tournament, and I won gold medal. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. But thank you so much, Lucy. Such an inspiring story and so much great advice. Really appreciate it. Um, all the best, and thanks for being on our podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And everyone, I just feel that you have limited potential, and go for it, especially girls. Thank you.